Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. All right, welcome to Growing Up Fire Season 2. I got Ray and Ben from Seahawk again. Thanks for signing up, boys. Appreciate you coming back on the show. Good morning, Jamie. It's voluntold. Yeah, voluntold. Ray, Ray's just angry because it's morning and there's no beer. So it's uh, we'll get through it, though. It's all good. We got uh, some coffee and some waters, and we'll uh, we'll make it through. We're here in the command post, the Seahawk command post, Carmen, Manitoba. I love that part, uh, working with you guys. One of my favorite parts is people are like, oh, yeah, you know, who do you work with? Seahawk. Where's that? Carmen, Manitoba. Of course, I'm from Alberta, so no one's ever heard of Carmen, Manitoba from uh, there. And then I go, well, you know, it's it's close to Winnipeg and people have heard of Winnipeg. And and then funny enough, when I say Winkler, a ton of people know where Winkler, Manitoba is. I don't know if it's the motorhome thing, the Triple E motorhome thing or... Yeah, and that, they're just growing so much. There's lots coming out of there, right? Lots of different uh, industries and stuff. Yeah. So that's always cool to, you know, that people know something close by to where you guys are. And I love coming here. So we're, we're sitting in this building, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit because I think more fire departments need to do this and more industries need to do this, right? And uh, so this building used to be an old feed mill. That is correct. On the edge of town. Yep. And there's still parts of it that you walk through that aren't quite finished yet where you could tell that it used to be an old feed mill. Still smells like it, yeah. (laughs) But the rest of the building, you guys have done a beautiful job, totally redone it. I pulled in this time and there's a huge metal sign out front, Seahawk sign, looks good. I mean, everything's really coming together. The big shop, I think, you know, the service part of it, you redid fully and that's beautiful i was in there talking with the guys the other day always one of my favorite parts of coming here right what trucks are in there and what happened to them and why are they in there and what's getting done and fixed and changed and and so they had some beautiful trucks in there they were working on you know we're talking about all of those things one of the big feed tanks had been taken out so the the guy west the shipper was all excited because it was less smelly in his part of the world now because that was gone so what was that like like walk us through you're driving along main the main drag in carmen manitoba looking for a, a new shop because you used to run it out of uh, ben's shop at the farm and you see the feed mill somebody tell me how that turned into we should buy that and well, it actually had been for sale for quite a while, the story I remember, and uh, we drove by and one day somebody actually asked me and said, hey, what, why don't you guys look at that building? Because everybody knew that we were looking for a place. We'd been looking for two to three years probably and uh, actually looked at different places and I was kind of like, ah, no, there's, there's no way that building will ever work. doesn't have a shop. The layout's funny. It's going to be too much money because it's right on the main highway coming out into town. Just left it at that. and then. Ray and I were chatting, I think, a few days later, and I said, yeah, so-and-so mentioned that we should maybe look at this building. Ray's like, why don't we? And uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess, sure, why don't we? It doesn't hurt, right? So so we called the real estate guy, and he says, uh, yeah, I'll show it to you. We walked through, and Ray's like, well, what about this? What about that? We could make this work, maybe that. And then where's the price at? And all of a sudden, what did it take? Two months, three months? Yeah, not even. It wasn't a very long process, and no. we put a bit of a lowball offer in it, and yeah, to our uh, surprise, we uh, we got it, and it was awesome. I remember when we put the offer in. The uh, offer was actually going to the Netherlands, to Holland. That's where the head office for Trout Nutrition is, from what we understand. Of course, with our Dutch background, we told the realtor, I said, in the uh, offer, make sure he sell. He knows he's selling it to a bunch of Dutchmen. So from one Dutchman to another, he better look after us. 
the real estate guy claims that he brought that right to the top, but yeah, they did end up, and it, uh, and it probably made a difference. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. it would. They would that would make them happy that that's happening. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So Ray, you were the visionary on this one. You could uh, you could see it. Just the square box out back. Just just the shop part. Yeah. <laughs> just where the service part, eh? <laughs> no, I was I was pretty excited too. We were like Ben said, we were working out of his shop there for the first bunch of years, and it was a fifty by fifty uh, quant set that we redid on Ben's property, and it worked great, but it was it was too small. Way too small. And that included our service bay, our office space, part storage, the whole works. So when we went from that to uh, a dedicated shop that was 40 by 100 alone and never mind the office space shipping and receiving it was a, it was a game changer for us oh for sure yeah now you go in there and there's always three or four big trucks in there yeah so instead of yeah, i remember you guys telling me stories about having to take one truck out like partially done while you wait for parts and putting another truck in and trying to and doing that multiple times a day like i can't even imagine how t- difficult that would have been but I mean, that's part of the success, right? It's part of that fire service journey always is it starts small and gets bigger. And those parts to me are, are so cool. So, you know, first time I ever came in here, you come in the front door, it's a great big office. That part was all done. So you're like, oh, wow, this is really nice. And you come through the boardroom we're sitting in right now. It's beautiful and, and everything's good. And, and then you go into the unfinished part and then back into the big, like the service bays are unreal here. For me, I like I always noticed the little things when I come because I only come every six months or twelve months and get to see all these things. And so I've been telling fire departments like all over the place to look for these old industrial buildings and repurpose them. Right? And we did it in Slave Lake a couple of times. Changed a car wash into a fire hall and then changed a big truck shop into a fire hall. And so when I come here, I love this sort of thing. You know, it's kind of just part of that story where everyone should be looking for, I love the visionary part, right? You see you drive by and you could see enough of it to want to do it. I can do that with buildings and, and see fire halls. Lots of people can't do that, can't see that. But I think we all kind of have to look for that diamond in the rough, right? Yeah, and it was interesting through the process because there was people that thought we were crazy. Sometimes we thought we were crazy, but the end result of that shop outside, it's, it's gorgeous, right? Inside and out, uh, it's well insulated, well heated, looks good. It's up to code. And that was just a steel shell structure, right? And we're able to fully redo it and yeah. turn it into something. But I definitely didn't have that vision, Ray, Ray seen that uh, well before I did. So. And it was a bit of a bittersweet process too, because we had an offer on a different place in town on the north end of town there that we were pretty hopeful that we were going to get. And it uh, fell through our fingers at the last minute. So we were both pretty, pretty devastated. And then uh, this came up, it wasn't much longer, it was about three, four months later. And uh, yeah, things happen for a reason. And it's, uh, this property is by far better than what we would have had there before with more space. Right. You know, I, you hear that so much through all this COVID times, eh? Things happen for a reason. And I think people always said it and it was always a thing and people always believed it, but it just seems to be, you know, even more you hear people saying that now. Yeah, people are slowing down, realizing, looking back, reflecting, eh? Lots of reflection. Yeah, so. in the fire service especially, you get to visit lots of places and talk to lots of people and, and people just talk like that, right? Things happen for a reason and, yeah. and it moves forward. So it's kind of cool. So the backstory, you guys have been on the podcast before. So for the people that remember the the backstory was that this was, you know, you started as a service company, right? You were working with another company and then you kind of bought that piece away from them and, and guys took off and you're just two young guys out there on the road, right? The road warriors doing service work and working with fire departments and having a great time. And, and now here you are years later with all the different things. So you're, you know, you Salesforce. You're selling acres emergency vehicles. You got the gear up division, so you're selling product. You probably thought you'd never be selling fire department product, fire departments all over uh, Canada. I told Ray we were never selling. If we sell Cherno gear and Cherno boots, like we're done. Like I said, <laughs> there's no way. But here we are years later. It's awesome. Here you so, are killing it. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> and then when I met up with you guys and, and got the performance division going, Right. And, and started uh, doing the consulting work and the different things. And so it's just funny how that progression happens. Right. And you meet more and more fire departments. And I don't know if you know the number off the top of your head, Ray, but how many fire departments you service the trucks for this year? That's probably right, right around the 200, 225 mark again. So it just keeps getting bigger. And each one of those departments has a minimum of one truck. So our, our techs touch at least between 200 and probably 350 trucks every year. So. 
all across Western Canada and into Northern Ontario and yep. all of these cool places. I love to call you guys because you guys are always in these cool places. And Ray and I got the bit of a competition going as far as number of fire halls. He's got the cool map. I just got memory, which is probably fading every day. So you'll you'll probably win, Ray. <laughs> it's good to be younger than me and have a better memory. <laughs> I wouldn't say a better memory. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you know, you're at a gold mine this time and, you know, then you're at a potash mine and then you're over and, you know, you're telling me that story about being underground. How, how far was it? That was a few, quite a few years ago, but we're up in Thompson and going a kilometer underground in the, uh, one of the mines there. Yeah, it was very cool. Birch tree mine, actually. So very cool. I don't know if I would find that very cool, but <laughs> still super, super neat, you know, all through my career with the fire service those are the things I love right and the things I love to do is hear people's stories and kind of go on and uh, I remember one of my friends Sean Culleton we were working together at school and he went to a diamond mine so I don't know if you've been to a diamond mine yet or not but no, I don't, don't think, think so, so. No. Through, through the training he somehow convinced them that he should be allowed to go into the where the final processing where they're actually grabbing the raw diamonds away from the material and so there's this product that flows by and then the diamonds stick in this product and then they separate it and and when you leave this room there's a light system where it's like if it's red you're getting the full search and if it's green you're just getting the partial search right? okay, yeah, yeah. so they kind of explained that whole process to him and said you still want to come in here and see this because if you get a red light you get a red light there's nothing we can do about it right <laughs> so uh, he, he went and ended up with a green light and a small search but you know just to hear that story about the different processes and the different trucks and the size of everything you know for me i really loved my time up at syncrude albion sands in in northern alberta and just the sheer size of everything right i've lots of friends that are mechanics and you know they talk about this and that that they had to fix and how heavy it was and how big it was and i always just go back to my fallback which is you ever work on a shovel in fort mcmurray you ever work on a heavy hauler in fort mcmurray right because they're just so massive right you know, they use a D11N cat to clean up the track marks from the shovel. Yeah. Right? So it's like just this massive, and it makes it look like a little Tonka toy, right? Yeah. yeah. So getting to go to all these places and see all this thing and work with all these people, it's drug you into all of these different things that maybe you didn't start off thinking you were doing, but it all is part of that fire service journey, right? Yeah, for sure. So your company has grown up fire. I mean, it's... Uh, Last night, we were in a place called Morton in Manitoba. It's cool because both of you guys are also in the fire department. Yeah, so we know. So you know everyone wherever we're going here in Manitoba, and they're talking about, shout out to Pete Peters there we were yeah. talking to last night. Yeah. The easiest name ever, eh? <laughs> Kid rocked through grade one. <laughs> you know, he's talking about his 30-year career and, and all the different things he saw and, you know, wondering why here you guys are 40 kilometers apart and you never trained together and you never. It was the yeah. first thing that came to his mind, right? He's asking you, why, why don't we do that yeah yeah so because of the uh, mutual aid groups right it just happens to be there in a different one so we don't cross paths lots but but yeah once again it's neat you're standing there in such a small world right you got so many connections and then boom you're putting all these people together and so and so lives here and i know so and so and yeah it's pretty cool it is it's it's the part of the fire service that you just can't get over right and I guess, you know, there's Pete Peters with a 30-year career. He probably knows a few people, probably went to a few fires. And But the number one thing he was upset about is that, you know, well, we don't work together and we don't train together. And that seems so weird. And, yeah. you know, trying to find a way to, to make that work out. So, I mean, I love that part. Ray, obviously, you're partial to the service world. You're the service manager, right? It's part owner and service manager. And, and uh, you love that. How's that going? How's the service world in fire trucks? It's always busy. <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts on trucks and uh, yeah, most of my days don't consist of people calling me, asking me how my day is going. It's like they got a problem and I'm there to fix it. So Yeah, like right now. Because <laughs> firefighters are so patient and yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You get to see a lot of different halls, meet a lot of different people that are from the same mindset, right? It's uh, Yeah, for sure. It, it was funny because I went to the back and, and Craig, your service guy that works in the back there. I, I walked right up to him and I was like, hey, you know, I'm working on this project and uh, can you tell me what firefighters wreck the most? Like, is there a... And he's, he gets this kind of goofy grin on his face and he says, well, like everything, they wreck everything. 
Yeah, and he probably that's exactly. And as a, yeah, like from my last twenty years as a fire chief, I'm thinking, yeah, I agree with you totally. Like, there's no one specific yeah. thing. It's, it's, uh, hey, we went on a call, and here's the list. Hey, we <laughs> yeah. did a training session, and here's the list. And I never really ever felt like it was just because like they maliciously were wrecking anything. I think it's just like it's a tough job. It's a rugged job. We're doing it in different temperatures, and and we're in a hurry. Obviously, yeah, adrenaline's pumping. And- we're always focused, right? When as, as a firefighter, you get out there, you get there to do the job, you're focused on that job and you want that piece of equipment just to do the job. And a lot of times we don't give the equipment the credit or the time or the patience yeah, that it sure. needs, right? And uh, that goes back to training. Like I actually, it's interesting because you brought this up the other day and uh, I, I've been thinking about it. And if we did a little bit more training around that aspect, so we all go out and train and we pull off this chainsaw and we pull off the K-tool saw and we start up the jaws and da 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 But what if we actually ask guys, okay, now do it with a bit of pressure. What kind of time did that take? And then apply that to the fire, so they can apply it to the fire ground, right? That's something maybe that we need to look at as officers. Wow, there you go fixing the fire service, eh? (laughs) That's not bad. I think that I got to see that quite a bit in Slave Lake because at the training center, there always was that pressure of smoke in the air and fire and flames and heat. And so they got to train under somewhat of pressure, Pressure. right? But uh, yeah, I never thought of that. Right. We do that with gear. Yeah. You know, we you have 60 seconds right? to put your gear on and everybody can do it because the pressure's on. Right. And you have another 60 seconds to get your SCBA on and working and you can do it. So why don't we do it with all of the other things? Yeah. Interesting thought. You said that uh, we don't break stuff maliciously, but it's somewhat not true, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> There's a saying, if you can't break anything, give it to a firefighter. <laughs> if you can't break with our hands, we, we take out the rescue tools and we show you what we can break. That's fair. That's fair. Which actually takes me to a story I wanted to talk about later, but we're here, Ray. You brought it up. You and I meet up in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, right? I'm talking to the fire chief about uh, some consulting stuff, and and you're there to uh, drop off some equipment and, and to pick up some stuff. And they're cutting up guns for the RCMP, which for all the fire guys, they know that that's one thing we do for them, right? All the confiscated guns and and they have an unnamed set of tools that uh, wouldn't cut it, right? They were telling us how awesome these tools are, but they wouldn't cut a lever action rifle in a part in the middle where we know it's the strongest. And so out of nowhere, Ray says... Are we sure this story is not classified? Yeah, <laughs> we may leave some parts out. <laughs> okay. But Ray says, oh, well, I, I, I have the new Hall Natural Pentium tool and uh, I can cut that in half. And I like dead stop and I'm like, brave move, Cotton. <laughs> I don't know how that this is going to turn out, right? So I, I go to the truck with Ray and I'm like, man, are you sure? Like that's, uh, he's like, oh, these tools will do it. I know they'll do it. And I was like, okay, man, I'll, I'll leave you to it, right? And so now it's kind of a thing. Everybody's like the deputies there and the chief's there and I'm there and Ray's there and we're talking about this. And, you know, sure enough, we'll leave some parts of the story out. But sure enough, it actually cuts this gun right in half right like right where the last tool left a little indent it just (laughs) snaps right in half and then i think it was the deputy that said oh yeah but you cut it where we already kind of so ray grabs the tool again moves down two inches and just snaps her off again (laughs) to prove that it can be done right and i was like golf clap (laughs) you win way to go ray this could have went either way your confidence pushed it through and, and the tool got it done. And so hat off to Hull Matro and, and uh, nod to you, Ray, for having the guts to just throw it out there. Well, when you have a good tool to sell, it uh, makes it easy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could put your... Uh, put a little bit of competitiveness in it, there. It was, right? yeah. I was just like, as soon as he said it, I was dead stop. I'm like, I don't know. My, my people's changed and says, yeah, okay. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah. Even if I got to push a little on the tips, we're getting this done. Those things are awesome, right? And, and I mean, I'm sure that they'll look at those tools later on down the down the road and, and be interested in that. It was a great sales moment. I didn't film it because I didn't know which way it was going to go, but uh, it, it was good. It was a brave move, right? 
Which kind of takes me to your dad, Ben, um, Ron. And so uh, Ron helps with all the fire truck sales and he's a beauty. Every time, he's just one of those guys that always quietly has some stuff to say. Kind of put him in perspective for everyone that's listening. You said the other day you were talking about, yeah, and Ron was upset and- Freaked I was, out. Yeah. I was like, yeah, like he frowned, you mean? Because <laughs> I don't know how else you would tell. His voice definitely didn't go up. He definitely didn't complain about anything. He, he definitely didn't get excited. So, but uh, we were trying to figure out uh, some terminology, some, right? We were talking about all the different uh, parts of the company and what they're called. And yeah, this is going back like two years ago. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago. I think you were doing some advertising work and you were trying to figure it out. And so you and I, thinking we're so smart, we're going back and forth. And Kirsten it was in my kitchen, I think, in Slave. It was, yeah. And Kirsten jumps in and everybody's, and we're all on Google, right? Uncle Google there trying to figure out what the, and all of a sudden your dad just, out of nowhere, quietly from the side, drinking his coffee, says, well, we should just call it the Center of Excellence. At this point, we're kind of talking about, to, to put it in perspective, we're talking about our mission statement, right? Like, how do we summarize this so everybody in our organization knows what we stand for? We know that deep down, everybody feels it in their heart. They're part of this organization. But how do we summarize that? And then how do you put it on paper? And that was pretty cool because dad's the old guy in the organization and super say that super respectfully. But yeah, then, like you said, right off the corner, he's just like, well, what about... And then center yeah. of excellence, there it was. Just just reminded me like a, of a hundred of those old fire chiefs, deputy chiefs, safety officer guys that just, you know, sit off to the side all quiet. And then all of a sudden they say something, everyone just turns and looks, oh, this is going to be good. And it was, eh? He just like, boom, everyone turns off Google and we're all like, man, that, that's yeah. awesome, right? There like, it is. We're if done. the whole point is to just bring all the best people and all the best products and all the best service and everything together, the center of excellence. And yeah. And so uh, while we're talking about your dad, I think that's, there's a guy that personifies the center of excellence. So if you ever, if you're out there and you ever get a chance to get a, a truck demo from, from Ron or meet with Ron, just take the chance. He's, it's just great to hang out with them and, and to look at that stuff. So great job, guys. You, you know, you're, you're moving this thing along. You're, you're growing it. You're changing with the times. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres emergency vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres emergency vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. You know, that kind of leads me to my next question is like, what are the challenges out there in the fire service? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? You know, how are you guys able to help with some of those different challenges that are out there? Let's go to the wildfire season. So it was just like an incredible wildfire season for, I mean, all of Canada. Let's just say it was all of Canada. You know, you guys had a chance to get some trucks on the road. And yep. so why don't you talk a little bit about that then? So it's tough actually to know where to start with this one. It was a crazy fire season and it, it uh, to a certain degree actually overwhelmed many parts of Seahawk, pretty much every part of it, because as big as Canada is, it became a very small country because our phone was ringing off the hook from BC, from Ontario, not so much Alberta, Alberta had a little better year, uh, but Saskatchewan, Manitoba. And suddenly it's like, well, you're in Manitoba and from BC, that wasn't actually that far before BC is a long ways away, but can you get us this? Can you help us out with this product, with that product? It was somewhat disheartening because we've seen the challenges with COVID, with supply chains that had a big effect on it, but also just the fact that uh, how overwhelmed everybody was with the fires. Um, got to the point where they were actually reaching out to us to say, hey, what do you have for resources that not only just supply, help fight the fire, but like that you can put people on and send them out, right? So going back kind of towards our response division. So at one point, Manitoba even reached out to us, the Manitoba Wildfire Service. Um, that was uh, right around the September long weekend. And we ended up spending nine days helping them out uh, north of Lac de Bonnie. 
protecting some couple cottage subdivisions. And you talked about it last night, right? Calling in, in Manitoba, they called in a bunch of the municipal fire service to help out with the wildfire service stuff. And they were actually flying them into different areas. So the challenge is the drought, right? That's what we're dealing with right across Western Canada, how dry it is. The solution, it's very difficult because throwing equipment and product at it doesn't necessarily fix it right away. It's all about the strategies in the spring and throughout the year, deciding how we're going to combat it and hopefully prevent them. But I don't have the answers, Jamie. No, it's tough. What, and, and I remember talking to you many times throughout the summer, right? And if you had a hundred fire trucks, you might not be able to get the fire to turn or, or protect the structures. Uh, a lot of it's mother nature, right? We have to deal with that all the time. Yep. Doesn't matter if it's summer or winter, fires or floods or tornadoes or, you know, it doesn't really matter what the nature brings us. We got to deal with it. And so across our travels all across uh, the country and with all of our friends, even on the social media and stuff, it was all about, you know, how we're going to deal with how dry it is and what are we going to do? And so, you know, there's Ray and all the service guys running around all over the place trying to fix up and, and service things behind all of this work that has to get done. You got trucks on the road and, and guys trying to get that going. You're trying to get enough product to sell to people to, to keep them going. And some of that stuff, you know, you can't get a pump till next spring. You can't get a water X piss back till next spring. And there's all of these problems, shortage of all kinds of materials. Yeah. And so it really pushes all the buttons, right? And you could just see the panic. You could feel it, I guess, like a tension in the air this summer. Yeah, yeah. And it's a tough thing to plan for, right? I feel for some of those people in the, those higher positions trying to decide where we're putting the money, what are they requesting money from the politicians for? How are we prepping for the next season? But it's really, actually here, I'll put this out there as far as the success. Uh, we need to look at the big picture. I talked earlier a little bit about how small that dis that gap became between, for example, uh, BC and Manitoba. We need to really work together. I did see some cool things, you know, when we were in Lactobani, they had the ducks down from Northwest Territories. So that was really cool because they were interacting with us and then they were bringing teams in from Nova Scotia, wildfire crew teams. So, so it was neat to see how everybody was working together. And I know they've been doing that a long time, but it's cool because you get to see egos go away and right people on. start bringing in the proper help they need. And maybe one comment can be, let's not wait too late. Let's put our egos aside really quick and say, hey, how can we help each other? Quicker? Ego, turf, time and money, right? All of a sudden it's there's enough money because the government's putting resources to it and we need the help now. So let's the time thing goes away. So you're left with ego and turf. And so I agree, like the big, big events are ego crushing, soul sucking, turf destroying events that that people finally just have to get over how big they are how you know how good they think they are and and just bring in the help and accept help and now i mean it still brings out all kinds of characters but it helps get rid of a lot of those problems which are huge does yeah so that's the wildfire season ray just before we started we were talking about the big snowfall this is a couple of years ago here but i mean a big event and this week we were kind of talking about it more than ever because in southern manitoba here we're expecting 50 centimeters of snow and i've never really experienced 50 centimeters of snow so as much as everyone else was hating it i was like my winter tires are on my four-wheel drives engaged let's rock this and see what happens yeah. i'm a bit of a masochist when it comes to that but <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about that snowfall. I, I know it was uh, a massive amount of snow and it kind of paralyzed the whole town. And Yeah, it was, uh, unfortunately, I, got, I missed most of it. I was down in uh, at Homacho doing some training there and I got back uh, Saturday, I believe. I was supposed to get back Friday, but I uh, got snowed in down south and uh, I get back and yeah, there was massive amounts of snow the whole way back. There's there's vehicles in the ditches that have been there for days. and. Oh, it was one of those where just like abandon in place and yep. take off the, yet you're both on the Carmen Fire Department, Ben's the chief and you're a firefighter here. And, and so I hear the talks of this all the time. You know, we had to start up the rescue unit generator and, and kind of plug it into some things in the fire hall to keep things going, which has spawned now a couple of years later, you have a built-in generator for the fire hall and you're more prepared for those types of things. And so when you travel around and you get to tell those stories and you, you talk about those things, do you kind of see that impact when you're saying, hey, did you think about this or think about that? Yeah, totally. Because 
for us, we had the trifecta. So, you know, uh, when you're doing a tabletop exercise and the guy leading the exercise says, oh yeah, you know what? Uh, okay, so you lost hydro to this part of your community. And uh, then all of a sudden now, yeah, we're struggling because the hydro went down, we lost our water plant. So now you have no water for firefighting operations. And then, uh, okay, cool, we're calling in more resources. Well, yeah, your communications went down too. So how are you dealing with that now? And everybody's like throwing up their arms going, yeah, right, that'll never happen. Like, give me a scenario that's real, right? Well, we actually had the trifecta. We lost full communications. We lost our water supply for our community and we lost hydro for over 24 hours. Just outside, like within a mile of the community, they lost hydro for, in some cases, up to four days. It's very impactful because all of that happened. And then to add to the communication challenge, not only did cell networks go down, fleet net communications went down, we lost all our landlines. So even the battery backup for the landline eventually crashed. We had landline communications for about four hours into the incident, and then uh, that was gone as well. So literally, the only way to talk to people was mouth-to-mouth and face-to-face. And boom, welcome to 1980. Yeah, and and then on top of that, uh, we had snow everywhere. So your trucks were getting stuck, like no fuel stations were open, like no food, no groceries. We had people stranded in the community. It was that didn't have their own home to live in. So yeah, it was, it was very interesting. That's pretty awesome. Hey, when you think about it, like, you know, to all of a sudden just be like, boom, you're back to, you know, 40 years ago or whatever. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty fun at the same time too. Like we're a volunteer paid on call department and uh, we turned in full time sleeping at the hall, right? Because if somebody's got an issue, they, the only way it was to report it was to go to the fire hall. Someone has to be there. <laughs> yeah. So we crashed the fire hall and pretended we were full-time firefighters. Yeah. It is cool. And even like you say, trying to get around and, and trying to, you know, what do we clean up next and where do we go next? And so there's the emergency management part of it. There's the fire part of it. There's the struggle that everyone has at home. And to me, those kind of discussions are always like, now what do you do with your family? Right? Yeah. You're a volunteer paid on call firefighter and we need you. But your family needs you. Your driveway needs to get plowed. Your house needs to get unburied. Your The wood needs to get chopped at your place for your fireplace to keep your house. And so it's kind of that whole challenge of, and, and I'm sure I can picture it now, every firefighter just pitching in to help out each other. And you take your family to my house because we got a wood stove and you take yours. I'll bring a generator to yours and we'll keep your freezer frozen and your furnace going. And your- Well, that's a, that's a good story, right? So right off the hop, most of the guys that we could get a hold of all brought their guys. So in the first initial hour of the incident, all the guys we could get a hold of, of course, came down to the hall. They all brought their families down, so the families are crushing it, having a great time at the hall. And then uh, as things progressed and people could get out, the, the rest of the guys all showed up, whoever was around. I'm over at the EOC, working at the EOC, and they're all worried about the firefighters. Like, are they being looked after and are they able to do their job? How do we communicate with them? You know, we got to get start arranging food for public works and all these people. And I'm like, no, I, you know what? Don't worry about the fire guys they'll be fine and no i think we better get out there and look after it sure enough an hour later i get back to the fire hall to do a bit of a debrief and they're just crushing it they got like bacon going eggs going everything i'm just like yeah these guys are this they're, is they'll like, be okay they'll, they'll be fine so yeah. that great whole family aspect was right yeah, there yeah. as long as firefighters can eat day eh? there's nothing we won't do to, to keep this all alive that's fantastic And so, I I mean, you you think about that and you can't really plan for that. It just kind of happens and you count on the training that the people have and some common sense to kick in and and get things done. Obviously, there's not common sense. So you end up with abandoned vehicles on the highway and skidoos having to pick people up and, and all of those things. But I mean, it's those challenges that drive change and kind of move us forward right so we do a lot of that so we've been working on the evaluation tool and i don't know we did 20 some of those now and you get to those talks right and so the other night it started i guess a couple weeks ago we were talking about accountability yeah and getting a good accountability process for the fire service and there's a million out there and all the people that are listening will be like oh we use this one we use that one and that's all great but my whole point was that it's just become too complicated they've added too many things in and you're trying to get We work a lot with the smaller rural or small town fire departments. And to say that, you know, well, add all your CAD data in there and you'll have one guy that'll just work the iPad and 
you know, you got to draw out your fire and put where everybody is. And I mean, when you were drawing it out on the whiteboard, it's almost too complicated to figure out. Right. And so how do you make it smaller? How do you make it minimalized to, you know, how do you meet the minimum standards and still keep everybody safe? Yeah. I love this discussion because uh, I can just see all my officers faces there uh, on Tuesday night. Right. And we're literally, we'd crushed it for, almost two hours and then the accountability discussion comes up and you can see everybody's kind of like oh heads drop and we're like we've talked about this like a million times and we're done with this but then when you start putting perspective on it what is accountability right and the reason we do accountability is keep our firefighters safe we're required to through workplace safety and health through occupational health and safety it doesn't matter which jurisdiction you work in in canada you need accountability but the challenge is just like you said we've overthought it so let's look at the minimum requirements, right? And you, you got to talk about that a little bit as far as what's actually needed. Like, Yeah, it, it was fun. I'm, I mean, we did what typical people do. We asked everybody we could be around and then we went on to Google and Googled all the different systems that are out there. And, but it, I mean, it comes back to what's the fundamental thing we're trying to do? Track who's going on the call and track who's in the danger zones. So if something goes wrong in those danger zones that... We know who we're looking for. And so it's become so complicated and so, right, you have to have four tags and two, and you have to have somebody watching this person who watches this person who watches this person. And for anyone from a small fire department, they know we don't have those people. We don't have the people, the manpower, we, we the, might have the willingness. One, one to six yeah. people there at the start of this event. And so to say, we're going to have a safety officer and we're going to have an SCBA control person and we're going to, uh, hold on, you're already past my limit of people I have to do. The we don't job. have anybody left to do the work. <laughs> right? So how do we do this? Right. And so I think that, you know, we, we started off talking the same thing, right? How to low tech, like, you know, let's get some tags and let's get a board and like, we're going to reinvent something that's been reinvented 4,000 times in the last 10 years and then started talking about different ideas. And so I think that there's so many things in the fire service when we talk about the big challenges that we got to kind of reverse engineer like that. Like, let's go back to the minimum. What do we actually have to do here and how do we do that? Why does it have to be so complicated? I love technology. Like, I get it, right? Yeah, we're going to put in a SAM system and it's going to run our pump for us and you're hardly even going to need a pump operator. Okay, if you're going to make that work and it frees up a guy, I'll look at that. That's cool technology. and sure. But, but we got to ask why. Why does that technology benefit us? How does it benefit us, right? What is it going to do for us to add value to the fire scene? Right. We're all about new technology, latest and greatest, but it's got to add value. If it's going to make our job more complicated, which many things do, unfortunately, we're not interested. Exactly. And so, so I'll go back to home macho. You know, now with the new tool, you bury the tips together and you keep holding the handle till a green light comes on and it beeps. And that means that it's tested, it's done, it's good. If it doesn't do that, you call somebody and they fix it. That's some technology I can get behind. Yeah. Right. That's some technology I can understand. Right. I look at an incident command board and I need to get a rollout tray in the back of my truck and half of it's taken up with an incident command command center that goes there. And here's all the tags and, and some crazy attack. I, I got 12 firefighters. We're fighting a house fire. I don't, I don't need a half a pickup truck load full of stuff to help me with that. Right. You know, you're the big fire departments. You bet. You got to keep track of your people. If you're lucky enough to have an apartment building fire and you can get 40 firefighters and 15 fire trucks to show up, all the power to you definitely have yeah, a system. You need a pretty intense accountability system to track we that. These small rural and small town ones don't have that. We don't, there's nothing really for us. We got to go back to the start and how do we track it? And how do we make it super easy? right and keep it super safe so so that was accountability those are great talks all through the week and and how it goes yeah and i, I think we actually flushed out some really good ideas that I we're going to so. talk talk about so yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> otherwise we used a lot of our time <laughs> <laughs> which could happen that's the fire service right and then we were talking about fire halls right so you guys are looking at some different things at the carbon fire department and you know we were just at morden last night and he's looking at some expansion stuff for his fire hall and we're close to winkler which is one of my favorite fire halls in canada that i've visited i got to build a few in my career and and so we're working with some customers that, that want to look at different fire halls and so we were talking about all the different fire halls and so 
I can tell you all the ones I've been to at all the ones that you guys have been to, right? We're, we're close to a thousand fire halls. We've all been to and no two are the same. No, that's for sure. No, not two anywhere <laughs> ever. Are no word of a lie. There is no two fire halls. Even in a regional system where they built them one after the other, <laughs> right? We had one burnt down and we got a new one right after the fire and we still didn't build them the same. Two very different fire halls by two very different builders, which when you think about it is insane. That makes no sense, right? Well, it's funny you say that. It's, uh, there's a few uh, communities up north here in Manitoba that actually the I think there's about five or six that are literally identical halls, but there's different people working there and where they store stuff or how they set it up is completely different. Yeah. So the footprint's the same, but inside they're completely different. Yeah. And so, you know, as we talk about that, it, it's just the fire service. It's how we are. It's who we are. And you go and every single person is super proud of their fire hall and the things that they've come up with. And I mean, I always, I was in Morton last night taking pictures of all kinds of different things that uh, I thought were cool and different that no one... I hadn't seen anywhere else. And so uh, it's just this cool talk to say, and, and the great part of it, and, and the great part of like a lot of the things we talk about is nobody's right and nobody's wrong. We're just having these great discussions about, you know, well, what is the best fire hall design? And what, you know, and there's all these architects out there that'll tell you they're the best. And there's engineers out there that'll tell you they're the best. And there's temporary structures and permanent structures and steel buildings and wood buildings and post frame construction. And it's all cool and it's all an unreal discussion. At the end of the day, I think there's a lot of great fire halls out there. I think we can all agree that we've seen a lot of great fire halls. But why do we have to do that? Right. And then that kind of transitions you to trucks. For sure. And, and, and I think, Jamie, you made the comment years ago that uh, was has really stuck with me that two of the largest things that a fire chief could ever be a part of with regards to infrastructure in their community is the building of a fire hall and the purchase of a fire truck. At the end of the day, most of us have no knowledge of building construction. Most of us have no knowledge of mechanics or building processes for fire trucks, right? Yet we're tasked with that. We need to employ really good people to help us with these processes. Through these discussions over the last few weeks, uh, you and I have really realized that there's no one place to find information on where to build a fire hall, right? And then how do we incorporate things like cancer reduction strategies? How do we incorporate things like minimum requirements? How do we incorporate things that add value to our response times and the way we're doing our processes, right? So I'm really excited about the discussion in the sense that I think it's going to add some value where we, we're going to have some of these answers for some people. Well, we'll definitely be able to help them. I, I mean, it's helped ourselves to go around and look yeah. at that stuff. I, I mean, I hope that this discussion changes every visit that that Ray and the techs make to different places that we make when we're doing sales calls and sales runs to different places. I mean, I completely, High River, Alberta, if you ever get a chance to stop by and, and see the guys there, it's incredible. Like they, they thought out the processes. When you get off the truck with all the dirty equipment, how do we clean it? How do we get the people clean? How do we get the people back to work? And it was just like a game changer to see somebody thought out those processes. But there's so many people that are just have no business building a fire hall. Yeah. But that's their now they're tasked with what kind of fire hall do you want and where should we build it? And we get going on, well, we should have glass doors because that's cool. I saw that somewhere. Or, you know, we should have the doors with the, the arch above them so it looks like an old school fire hall. And, you know, we put the brick and we'll all of that stuff is kind of irrelevant. It's like, how does the fire hall function to help us do our job? That should be the main goal. And so yeah, it's just like so cool. I can't wait to get the comments back on this podcast where people are, you know, they'll all send me pictures of their fire hall and they all have the best fire hall and I'm sure they're all good. But at the end of the day, you know, the put that process of how do we make it better for the firefighters that use the fire hall first. Put the looks at the end, right? Like there's always an architect that wants to get another award for being LEED certified or, right? In Slave Lake, they got to... A building with a daycare on the roof and the architect's like this is the only one of these in western canada say so, yeah well, why is that because it's stupid <laughs> right you put a playground on a roof it's stupid that's why there's none other ones right but they got a little plaque on the wall and they got an award and everybody fell for it and right and then the first winter came and we went oh this is like super stupid right <laughs> 
And so we just got to be careful with those kinds of things, right? Trucks are the same way, right? And so I'm super passionate about trucks. I've crashed a fire truck in my career. My son was driving one day and crashed a fire truck and was a really close call to killing the whole crew when I was the fire chief and slave. And and so I'm super passionate about the safety surrounding them and, and the type of truck and getting the right truck for the right job for the right community. Too many stock trucks, too many, this is my idea. I go to a show and I see the show truck, right? It's got every bell, every whistle, every switch, every light, every whistle, every horn, right? It's painted cool, it's got cool decals. That has nothing to do with being a good fire truck. And so Ray, you must see that constantly when you're out there fixing. Yeah, for sure. It's something that, especially with new guys coming on to as service techs, or uh, it's a huge responsibility. It's not not to scare the guys either, but I always ask them to uh, fix this truck. And when you're done with it, you got to remember this is somebody's mother, father, son, or daughter that it's protecting. So pretend that's your mother or father or child, wife. Right. If it's not good enough to protect them, then don't put it out the door. It makes me think of uh, Acres Emergency Vehicles, right? Just Tim, and, and when he says Acres Emergency Vehicles built for a life of service, just like when he says it, it actually makes me well up and think about what that actually means, right? What you're just saying, right? It's, it's built to protect the people that are protecting us. And that is a crazy notion that we don't take that super seriously, that we don't design a truck for the hazards we have in our community properly really kind of breaks my heart a bit yeah right yeah it's great you got this flashy truck you got enough seats whatever but is it actually set up design function you know is it pump and roll where you need pump and roll is it a big pump we need a big pump a small pump we need a smaller pump does it have the water we need you know is the equipment fastened so that it's safe and and handy i can remember the rescue truck pulling up one time when i was the incident commander and they pulled sideways to protect everyone and the side door blew open and all the extinguishers come flying out and everyone's dancing around jumping over these projectiles we just brought to the scene and there's people trapped and there's a fire and and here's that that was our big entrance was blowing half the equipment in the truck out the side door (laughs) it just doesn't make any sense right and so i think that my point here is always think about the truck you want, talk to the professionals, go through it. And we don't just need whatever truck was at the show and whatever thing is cool. The SAM system is a good example. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I used it at FDIC. It seemed to work great. It it seemed to be a great concept. Yep. It might work. Someone's going to test it and tell us if it works, and then we'll all go. The electric fire trucks, right? That's fantastic. You know, Vancouver definitely get one try it let us know you know you're down in the warm states there get them try them let us know eventually someone's gonna have to get one up here in the frozen canada right and it's a little hard saying in carmen manitoba where we're like 12 feet from the border but you know as you go farther north right like i don't want churchill manitoba to try it out first i don't want uh whitehorse to try it out first I, you know we've got to make sure that it's going to work and do what we need it to do no um, that technology it keeps growing and progressing right and it does need to be tested and improved and yeah and then the rest of us will get on it right it's, it's but fun. it goes back to what we were talking about before the technology has to add value to our job it can't just be different for the sake of being different right then we're just talking ego so let's just put that away and let's say now hey does this actually add value to what we're doing so many fire trucks now have the, you know, the hose racks come out the back. So they've changed the tanks so that we can put hose right through the middle of them and they build them all kinds of configurations. And and so for me, and this is purely driven because I was there when a firefighter fell off the top of a truck while he was bed and hose. And I heard the crunch and luck, he's fine. He was fine. He's a young, strong guy and he landed just right and didn't crack his head open. And But... I am so fearful. Every time I see everyone prancing around up on the top of the truck, they're kicking hose, and that's such a dangerous spot. Yep. It's high. It's dangerous. There's not a lot of protection for us. And at the bottom is always a hard surface. There's always cement to meet us or a paved road or whatever. And so I'm a big pusher for, like, let's get that stuff down lower where we can handle it, where if, if we fall off at six feet, is a lot better than falling off at nine or ten. 
there's a lot of pushback. Not everybody loves that's a thing for me, <laughs> which is fine, right? But we'll put on better lights. LED was a game changer. You know, we'll put on better sirens, louder sirens. We'll, but then is there that other hassle? The other night we were talking and uh, the admin assistant you work with, I can't remember her exact title, but yeah, I should. Director of Protective Services. <laughs> Monica. Is Monica, a, yeah. She, is that what it actually No, is? sorry. No, it's Director of Public Education. Yeah. Sorry, so like she's unreal, right? And she said, actually, I feel like the lights some are somewhat of a hindrance. You get there at night and they're, they're so blinding that you can't even see the firefighter. Yeah. And it was like, wow, that's a perspective I've heard before, but I always just dismissed it. And now it's someone I actually respect saying it's like, oh, and then it happened to me outside of Mooseman on the way over. And I was like, yeah, that's, you literally couldn't see, I could see the lights for five kilometers. I couldn't see the firefighter till I was 20 feet away from him. Yeah. Yeah. On, on that note, I'll challenge, like uh, if anybody takes anything away from this podcast, if you're an officer on your fire department at every MVC, there's a point where you will have two minutes to walk 500 feet away from your scene and look at it at a night scene. And I challenge you to do that and you will be blown away by what you see. So yeah, that's a piece that we got to change. Right. And so if the trucks can help us with that, right. So actually thinking about which lights we need and the traffic advisors and telling us what's out there. And instead of just let's get the most amazing blinding lights. So it's so we're always on the inside of that bubble. Yeah. And we're blinding everyone outside of the bubble. We have to take a step maybe outside of that and look in. I probably just hurt Waylon and Federal's feelings here, but. No, actually not at all. Like you bring up technology, where is it useful? A lot of these lights that come out nowadays have a low power function. Design for when you're on scene at night, hit the low power function, it brings the intensity down. Still very effective for the distance and seeing the scene, but that light's not blinding everybody. Even the tank we delivered last night has that. Oh, so they're actually thinking about it, making the changes and doing the. And Wayland just came out with another new feature where they have an on-scene lighting pattern. So your response, when you're responding to the scene, your flash pattern is very fast and crazy. When you get on scene, it slows down, which calms down the oncoming traffic. So the flash pattern slows down and gets a little uh, less crazy. Yeah, love it, right? So technology that's actually helping us put so again, there's things I don't know, right? I don't build fire trucks, so I don't know these things, right? So great, thanks guys. Hopefully everyone's picking up on that, that there's other things out there that we can do to, to change everything. A lot of these discussions come from our eval tool, right? We're, yes. we, we're out there trying to help people. We're trying to change the game, I guess you could say, and, and figure out different things. There's all these discussions, right? And so, you know, all these different provinces have their playbook and their different ways. And it's uh, not discounting any of those. There's lots of great information out there, but trying to tackle the ones that aren't being tackled and say, let's have these tough discussions and figure out how we can change these. And and so thanks guys, thanks for taking the time and thanks for sharing some of that, uh, those stories and the technology with us. And hopefully people are picking that up and say, hey, oh, I should look into that. And you know, maybe I could change my fire truck. Maybe I could get some different lighting for my firefighters. All through my life, I bought the six inch red flashlight i pulled up at mooseman the other night and i was like that thing is useless you could throw that in the ditch yeah you couldn't see that that thing was completely useless that he had in his hand there so just making those changes having those difficult discussions growing up fire right trying to change and grow and and get through all this stuff so appreciate you guys appreciate the work you do thanks for sharing with all of us on uh, growing up fire thanks for having us again it was great jamie good times Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.